welcome back to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Um, you guys don't know it, but we're recording this on a different night. Um, so I'm really mad because I think that tomorrow is Friday. And it's not because we generally <laughs> record on a Thursday. But we had to change it to a Wednesday. So now tomorrow is just going to be totally messed up for me. And I'm not going to say whose fault it is. But, um, you know, it's mostly mine. But anyway, there we go. Um, so we've been we've been sharing stories before we started about uh, dogs and wildlife and such. And Fredo was just telling a story about uh, um, his his brother's pit bull getting a possum. Is that right? All right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Last, so last week I'm working at home like I have been. You know, I have a, a co-working place downtown, but I haven't been going just because I'm waiting for, you know, this disease to go away. And so... I'm with the dogs, you know, and, and Luna is outside and Brittany, my wife is, is teaching, you know, she's, so she's doing her virtual classes and stuff like that. And I hear Luna barking, um, alongside the house. And, you know, I, I don't want our neighbors to go like, ah, man, get this dog to shut up. So I go outside and I tell Luna to be quiet and she's still barking. And I went around the corner and I look at her and she's sitting there. And I just said, hey, stop it. And she looked, she stopped barking. So went back inside and about two minutes later, she starts barking again. And so I go out on the porch and I said, Luna, stop. And she keeps barking. And now I'm mad because she's not listening to me because, you know, my dogs clearly speak English. But anyway, so <laughs> I go around the corner again and I look at her and I said, Luna. And she looks at me and I saw something <laughs> at that point. And that's when I kind of took a step to my right. And I saw about a foot and a half away from Luna was a possum. And so, I don't know, they're just having a conversation. Luna's like, bark, bark, bark. And the possum's like, hey, leave me alone. You know, the possum just wanted under our house. The and like... No, the possum was just pacing, you know. So that's Olivia, everybody. Um, but uh, so I, I got Luna inside and, but I mean, I won't say it was a McClunky what I said when I saw this thing. I was like, oh, <laughs> McClunky. And um, so uh, we must have a possum living under our house now. So, um, Which will yeah. only be a problem when the possum delivers next spring. Anyway, so that's our that's our wildlife uh, segment. I want to say welcome to our podcast. Dave and Fredo, as always, is with me. Say hi, guys. Hi, hi guys. And uh, we have our special guest. Um, Dave's daughter Olivia, who is sporting wonderful mermaid hair. Do you want to do you want to explain to the listeners what you did? Um, well, they dyed our entire bathroom blue last night, basically <laughs> trying to get the, our hair blue. The sink, the bathtub, my hands. Yeah, her skin is blue. Wait, <laughs> the actual belly button of the of my belly, it, it actually has blue inside of it. See, so there you go. Well, it's a good thing this isn't a video podcast, and so, yeah, but, uh, um, so basically Dave is turning his kids into Smurfs. Is that what's going on? <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Right yeah. on. No, it's not. They're trying to stop us from being Smurfs. <laughs> well, that's called good parenting. So, uh, cool. All right. So, uh, everybody had a uh, happy uh, Labor Day, did you? Yep. Yep. Yay. Pretty good. I have to tell you, so... You know, I, I, I got the Nintendo Switch, you know, a few months back, and I've been playing Super Mario Odyssey, and I've got to tell you what I really appreciate about Super Mario Brother, Super Mario Odyssey. Um, do, you guys, do you guys know the game? Mm -hmm. yes. you know, 
brother wants it so badly. The, the coolest the coolest thing about this game is the the intentional throwbacks and but it, and the, what I'm talking about mainly is the music. Which they level have, are you on? I've I've beaten the game already, so I'm already that, I'm that good. But anyway, no, I it's uh the music is awesome because they will have like they just it's like hey wow cool I'm listening to some jazz music and you're like no this is like level two of the original Super Mario Brothers but they've you know put it into a jazz format they've taken the music that is in all the previous games and rearranged it and into different styles and stuff like that. Um, and, and that has just been really made me geek out. I've just really dug that game. It's a fun what? game right now. I'm, you know, like I said, I beat Bowser. And so right now I'm running around the mushroom kingdom and herding sheep and collecting what? power moons. It's kind of like I'm retired. I'm a, I'm a retired Mario right now. So anyway, what was your favorite, like, Part of the game, the level, a level. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I don't well, know if I can. I don't know if I can give that kind of a review just yet. So, what was your favorite costume that Mario got? Um, the one I like that I have. I'm I'm a pirate right now, and I really dig that. So, yeah, <laughs> it's money well so spent. Did you yeah. steal mm -hmm. stuff from other people, like steal money and stuff. I haven't stolen yeah. money from anybody, but. Anyway, no, I, so I think that's just a really kind of cool thing to this game. They could have written, you know, different music, but they used all of the old music, you know, um, from all the other Mario games and just rearranged it. It's really, really cool. So, uh, well, hey, Olivia is joining us in trivia. So, but first of all, I guess, Dave, Fredo, what'd you guys do for your Labor Day weekend? Uh, rested, slept, and uh, tried to clean up my messes. I took advantage of the time that, you know, finally had. I hung out with the family, grilled a bit. Eh, nothing too bad. Just trying to take it easy. And it was nice to actually have a day off that actually meant off, not day off to board from home. Yeah, I, I've noticed that that's one of the things now that I'm working at home more is that it's tough to detach from work. Mm -hmm. because I walk into my room where my computer is and I feel like I should go look at emails and go do things for work. Yeah, it's tough. Dave, what'd you guys do? We blew up the pool in the backyard and hung out in the pool and I uh, got the, that didn't turn Olivia's hair blue enough. So that's why we dyed her hair blue. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we also did steaks on, uh, on Monday. So that was good. Cool. Yeah. Well, right on. All right. Well, let's move on to trivia, get our brains wrapped around Star Wars here. And uh, Olivia, we're going to start with you tonight. Actually, no, we're going to end with you. We'll end with you. I have I have your question right here, so I'm going to put that off to the side. All right. So, uh, Dave, let's start with you. Um, what character does Luke use to force... Uh, sorry, let me rewind. What character does Luke use the Force to levitate on Endor? Yeah, I remember that too. C-3PO. It's pretty funny. It is C-3PO. Very good. Um, it is pretty funny because um, mm -hmm. it made him you know, think that C-3PO is a god. Yeah, uh, all right. So Fredo. Yes. 
Oh man. Okay. I'm sorry. You know, my rule is that if I see a, if I see a question, I have to read it. Right. Right. <laughs> what does Shu Mai, the emissary from the Commerce Guild, say? Count Dooku's plans quote could be construed as. Read it again. What does Shu Mai, the emissary from the Commerce Guild? Say Count Dooku's plans, quote, could be construed as. This is from Attack, Attack of the Clones. Uh, they're all sitting around the table. Uh, should I guess an act of war? Nope. No, it is what not is it? treason. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. That was, like I said, that was the first one my eyes laid you know, on, and I was like, oh, that's mean. And I was like, yeah. But, and I uh, read it. You have to read it. All right, so here's my question, because Olivia's last. Um, <laughs> who spends a few moments face down trailing wisps of smoke on Palpatine's office floor? That sounds awkward. But anyway, who spends a few moments face down trailing wisps of smoke on Palpatine's office floor? That would be Yoda. Yeah, it was Yoda. It was Yoda. All right, so Olivia, the last time she was on, she beat us. Yes, and, she destroyed us all. And so I said I wasn't going to be easy on her. And so this is the one. Um, what planet is Bail Organa on when clone troopers try to gun him down? What planet is Bail Organa on when clone troopers try to gun him down? Do you remember in do you remember in the movie? I think it was inside of I remember which movie it was. Yeah. So I'm thinking back about about what happened in the movie. So what movie was it in? It was in the third movie that had um and it it was in the yeah. third movie. Yeah, yep. Revenge yep. of the Sith. Yeah. Episode three. And um I don't think he was on a planet. Because Planet, but where was he? Where was he visiting when they tried to gun him down? Let's start there. Told you, Dave, this is mean. I'm being mean. Uh, she's got to learn this one at some point, right? I haven't seen that movie in a while because we've mostly been watching Rise of Skywalker and the other Ray movies. So he went to the Jedi Temple, and that's when the clone troopers started shooting at him. Where was the Jedi Temple? The Jedi Temple is... Remember the name of the planet? Where the Senate and the Jedi Starts with Temple. a C. We might have stumped her. We may have stumped our champion I'm here. <laughs> Starts with a C and then an O. Co. It's, so a, planet. it's a planet that nobody can pronounce. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because, yeah, when you first saw it uh, written down, most people had no idea how it was supposed to be pronounced. Cause even even Jake Lloyd pronounced it wrong in episode one. Who's Jake Lloyd? He was the guy who played Little Anakin. In and... Phantom Menace. In The Phantom Menace. All right. So I gave you a mean one. So I'm going to give you the name of the planet was Coruscant. Coruscant. Uh, I forgot about that one because I was mostly thinking about the other planets. All right, so here's for double or nothing. All right, we're going to give you one more for double or nothing. So for all of your cred, all right, 
who observes that Luke Skywalker has, quote, never expressed any unhappiness with his work? Who says that Luke Skywalker has, quote, never expressed any unhappiness with his work? I feel like it might be either Yoda um, or, or Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because they talk to him about stuff like that a lot in the movies. Yeah. That's a true fact. That's a, that's a fair guess, uh, but it's actually C-3PO. C-3PO. Uh, C-3PO is hard to remember. It's hard to remember what he says because it's always, it's always, it's always hard to like understand. I get you. He's kind so of which, 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 Olivia, which is your favorite movie? I like, uh, I like quite a few movies of Star Wars. We've been watching uh, Rebels together, too. Yeah. And she likes Rebels a lot. Yeah. And Sabine had the Darksaber, but then she said that she was going to give it to the um, Duchess's sister. Yeah. Sister. So, do you like Return of the Jedi? Uh, I like it. Do you know, yeah, do you know, it, do you know it pretty well? Yes. All right, so let me ask you this one. Who does Luke tell, then my tr father is truly dead? Um, he says that to, I think, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan was only in a little bit. This is... He was. He was in, like, one movie, yeah. like, with Luke. So, um... Which wait, which movie was um, Return of the Jedi? Was it the um, the one with the Ewoks? Okay, that one. And Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. So he said it to. I think it was Darth Vader that he said it. To. It was Darth Vader. There we go. Ding 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 ding. ding, ding. I am your father. Well, that was earlier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then my father is truly dead. But before before that, a few movies before that. One movie before yeah, that. One movie before that, I am your father. You know, not many podcasts have a 10-year-old special guest, right? So is, how old are you? Are you 10, right? Eight. Eight? I'm All right. Nine, sorry, though. Dave. I'm sorry. I, I got her driving yeah. before you're ready. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you, Olivia. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you for playing trivia. Thanks for playing with us, so Olivia. Now, so now it's, it's you, you're, you're one, us one. So the next time you're back, then it's going to be the tiebreaker to see if it's if you're the champion or the three of us are the champion. So. Okay. I next time can we do a question though? That's like about a ship or maybe <laughs> um, like about a character, like a character, like. The, like, who was kidnapped or, like, in a movie. You don't get to pick or, the question. No, I mean, like, something like that next time. Because I like yeah. I'm good at questions like that. Dave, Dave oh, sounded dude. like the ACT board there. Jeez. <laughs> also, also, I speak Jawa because I have a Star Wars origami book. And Suga! Suga! That is Jawa. Uchi means come over here. Suka. Suka. Egg. Suka. I'm thinking me and Aiden Harper can dress up as Ewoks and decorate like our cloak. 
hoods thing. Um, like, like with Jawas? our yeah, Jawas. Like with our own special, um, with our own special kind of marks and stuff. And then we, and then if one of us sees some like a boatload of candy, we're gonna uh, we'll shout. Oh, I don't team! think you need a boatload of candy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It may have to come from mom and dad this year. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway. I don't know, uh, Dave, Dave, did you just have straight sugar for dinner tonight? Is that what is going on here? Or? Well, you're, getting, you're getting the real Olivia here. <laughs> All right, okay. guys. Uh, you ready to go? Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey. And that's another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Oh, wait. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That would be really short. Thank you, Olivia. We'll play trivia yeah, again next time. This is the second episode I've been in. Yep. Yeah, I'm do this more often. We'll do three. We'll do part three. <laughs> Return of Olivia. Part Return three. Of- <laughs> episode three. I think we Go could wrong. just leave it at Revenge of the Sith and it'll probably Revenge of Olivia. appropriate. Um oh cool. All right. Well, there we go. Um, I said I was mean. Sorry, man. I yeah. you know I can say it. Kids, kids got to learn, right? You know. Remember, you got to knock them down a peg, otherwise, you know. They got they, they, they start thinking they, they're gonna run stuff. It was like it was like when we play basketball. In my, it was like huh? when we play basketball in my driveway, and you know, my my sister was in um, was in college, and my dad was playing her, and he hip checked her into the fence, and they like <laughs> broke the neighbor's fence. He was just like, no, you know, you, you got to get past the old man, so. Um, all right. Well, uh, here we go. Let's uh, let's dive into news. Uh, it's kind of a light news week, but I think we're going to get Aaron all fired up. I got a funny story to tell you later when we get there. But uh, Fredo. Okay. Well, let me let me go with the one that's more likely going to fire Aaron up first, because the other one's actually a bit more detailed. So, first things first. Uh, last night, Daisy Ridley was interviewed. Was a guest on the Jimmy Kimmel show, which. I believe they had Josh Gad as the guest host. So he was interviewing Daisy, who's promoting, I forget what the name of the movie she's promoting at right now. Uh, anyway, so they came up to look, asking her about Star Wars and The Force Awakens and the whole experience. And so uh, during the questions, one of the questions he asked is, you know, about race parentage. And so they asked her, did she know who Ray's parents were from the moment she set foot on Force Awakens? Her pretty clear answer was no. And then this is some of the quotes that she gives Josh Gad. It's like, at the beginning, there was toying with a Obi-Wan connection. There were like different versions. So really explained that there are a lot of different ideas as they were making their movies, including the concept that she really was nobody, which is what they went with Last Jedi before turn things around, uh, you know, but, you know, then they went with the idea of her being connected to the Palpatines. Uh, but, you know, they sounds said like that, the, that sounds like the Jeffersons. Yeah. Moving on up, moving on <laughs> the Palpatines. So when they asked her, when Josh asked her, okay, who's Ray's grandmother? If Palpatine's your grandfather, she goes, you tell me. You know, apparently the in-canon novelization answer is that she doesn't have a paternal grandmother her father was actually an imperfect clone of Palpatine who lacked any force potential. And he had a daughter with a woman, the old fashioned way, after he escaped Exegol. So uh, they asked her, okay, well, so 
So Benjamin pretty much they start going by uh, the idea of, did you know at the moment when you started making the sequel who your parents were? No, she did not know. They played with the ideas of it could be nobody, it could be Palpatine, it could be a Kenobi. All that was kind of laid in the groundwork. And then for Last Jedi, they picked nobody. And then they turned it around for Rise of Skywalker. So do I start now? Go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this this was the funny. So I was ranting about this because I and I, what I said to you guys in our you know our private group message was you know I'm glad they didn't go the the Kenobi thing would have been dumber than the Palpatine thing. Uh, and I'll get to those re that reason why here in a second. But let me fast forward to where. So first of all, you gotta understand. I get done with work, and so and Brittany still has some like work to do, and so I pour myself a beer and grab my guitar, and I'm playing out on the back porch and drinking a beer, and then it's time to start making dinner. And I, I'm, she asked, "So what are you guys, you know, talking about on the podcast?" And I told her what we're going to be talking about, and I said, "Did you see, you know, Daisy Ridley said this, that, or the other?" And she said, "Well, that would have been less controversial than her being a Palpatine." And I went. Rah, 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 rah. I said, don't you get me started too. I said, oh my God, no, that's so <laughs> dumb. I said, because here's my rant. It's like, first of all, for Palpatine to have an illegitimate kid, let's just call it an illegitimate kid or illegitimate grandchild, whatever, totally feasible. That's total mop, right? I mean, it's totally feasible. You, you don't even have to spend more than 15 seconds of screen time to say that the emperor of the universe got down with some, you know, no name and created a force sensitive kid. That's, that's, I mean, that's, so I know, I know that's not what we're talking about here, but I'm just saying that doesn't take much thought. If it was going to be a Kenobi connection, then you you got some splaining to do because it's like when is obi-wan now and you can't throw satine into this because the math don't work all right so satine is out of the equation but somewhere while obi-wan is supposed to be dedicating his life to you know protecting luke he gets down with somebody and creates a kid who then creates a kid who creates ray and it's like no, Fredo, I'm sorry. You can't throw your hands up like no, that. No, no, I'm just going to say, Tuscan Raider Grandma, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. it could be grandparent situation. You got a you got a lot of splaining to do on that mm -hmm. one. You can't just throw that one aside. That I mean, like I said, if it was a Palpatine, you can throw that aside and say, he's the emperor. He's got women all over the place. No wonder he had a kid. But Obi-Wan, who's like, I'm going to protect Luke and hide out on this desert planet, and that's what my life's goal is going to be until Darth Vader kills me, you can't have him have a girlfriend. Sorry. And that's the thing that worries me about this Kenobi series is, again, if he goes, I've said it a gazillion times on the podcast, if he goes traipsing off planet or if he, you know, like I said, now, I mean, yeah, I think that there's going to be, could he bump into somebody in the most icely market and they have a moment, but then you hope that Obi-Wan says, no, you know what? I've got, it's the greater good. I've got a bigger purpose here. I've got to sacrifice that so that I protect Luke. Otherwise you are just going to mess with everything. So I just, I, but, but to our, what then Dave replied back, this is, you know, this story 
has solidified my argument that the story group didn't know what the hell they were doing from the get-go. And welcome back to your segment of Aaron Rents at the, at the story group. Well, I mean, like I said last week, it's like, let's get in the car and drive. Some of those road trips are fun, but generally it's like, hey, kids, we're going to go to Wally World. And then you just you weave and wind and hit places. Like when my wife and I went to Ireland for the first time, we knew the only thing we knew is where we were staying one night and where we were staying the next night. The day in between was just driving all around, seeing things. But we had a destination in mind. Here it doesn't seem like they have any destination in mind. I'll shut up now for a while. Let you guys go. <laughs> I'll, make, I'll make two arguments in favor of a Kenobi connection. Um, we can't I, be friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, firstly, I'll say that the um, there's a good symmetry to it because of the uh, Anakin versus Kenobi dynamic and the fact that this family is against this other family, kind of a Hatfield and McCoy thing going on there, which I find just like kind of interesting. They could have done a lot of interesting things with that. Um, so I so I like it on that level, and I like it on the level of just this, you know, this switcheroo. It was like, oh, well, she's now the hope of the galaxy, and it didn't come from this particular lineage. And that's where they ended up anyway. Yeah, but that, that, breaks the, that breaks the symmetry you're talking about. And let's yeah. also remember that, I'm sorry, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a is a secondary character. He's supporting cast to this story. Mm. Yeah, I guess what I'll say if is... If we're doing nine film saga connective tissue and you know, we're trying to argue that point, then you know, Obi-Wan would have been just as good a choice as Palpatine in that regard. Well, I think Palpatine would have been a better choice than Kenobi. I mean... Uh, I'm saying actually, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neither choice was really good. They went with one that may not have been as bad. I guess what I'll say, uh, first of all, to your point regarding Kenobi, for you know, the way that his character has been presented to us is that he was the model Jedi in all the ways that a Jedi could be. Obi Wan Kenobi was the very best of them, and one of the tenets of the Jedi was that you, once you were a Jedi, you kept to the code. It's a lot. This is like, you know, the Thornbirds and talking about Richard Chamberlain. And I know I'm dating myself by mentioning a book and a TV miniseries that nobody in this audience younger than 40 has ever seen. I remember that, but I'm older than 40. So anyway, That's what I mean. thank you. But the idea of, you know, a priest, you know, falling in love with somebody, because in many ways, that's part of the monastic element of the Jedi. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. I, I actually, I mean, there's a difference between falling in love and then acting upon that oh, so. so i don't have any problem in the kenobi series if like i said he you know develops a relationship with somebody but at some point he's got to say no you know my focus is here anyway, is strict, go ahead. Is strictly kenobi though but based on what fredo's saying about him being the model jedi because mm -hmm. like when we talk about the jedi order and how they failed like they had all these rules in place. You can't have attachments. You can't have this. You can't have that. And they ended up like sowing the seeds of their own demise. Right. To, you know, and Luke circles back around to that and talks about how the Jedi were these gigantic hypocrites and they helped destroy the galaxy ultimately. Yes. And that order needed to burn. Yes, and but I would argue. 
I would There's argue symmetry sorry. in that. I, I would argue, however, if you're saying that, you know, if he, I don't know if I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, but if he's like, okay, obviously we got things wrong, so it's going to be okay for me to to get down with this girl here. Uh, no. Do you, think, do you think that Obi Wan? I don't think Obi Wan and Yoda ditched any of those tenants. No, no. On the contrary, I think I think if anything, that's the only thing they held on to, because that's the. I mean, put it this way: this is something they devoted their entire lives to, as you know, these characters to the Jedi Code. And it failed, and it destroyed the galaxy. They were forced to go into hiding, forced to go into exile. The only thing that they have that's still kind of keeping their, their their hopes alive is the hope that Luke and Leia can come around and be trained as Jedi. So everything that we know from the character is that he devoted himself to the next 18 years to watching over Luke and waiting for the moment where he could train him to stand up to Darth Vader. Which is actually character. That's his yeah. penance. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. his penance. Right. And that's what that's why in this Kenobi series, if he does anything to sully that penance, it's like if if I go to confession and I tell the priest what I did, and he says, All right, go do 10 Our Fathers and you know, 10 Hail Marys, and then I turn around and go kick somebody in the nuts, then what was the point of me going to confession? It it it, it lessens that that act of contrition. So that's what I'm saying is that, I mean, if that Obi-Wan, from what we know in the story right now, Obi-Wan's job is to, is to take care of and to protect Luke. And I'm sorry, I'm going to also bring it back to, it's, it's kind of like, I remember, you know, my mom and my mom and dad got divorced when I was 10 and a couple, about three years later or so, whatever, my mom got remarried. And I remember one time asking my dad, said, hey, why don't you get, you know, remarried like mom? And he said, my job right now is to get you guys out of school and get you on your own. Then I'll worry about myself. Mm -hmm. I remember that, uh, God, what, I was about 13 at that time. I was like, holy crap, you know, that's a that's a selfless thing. Not to say that my mom was selfish to get to get married. I'm not saying that at all. But that that act of, no, I'm watching after you, then I'll worry about myself. Obi-Wan didn't have time to worry about himself after watching over Luke. So, but let's as, as presently constructed, that's his character. And I appreciate that. I'm, I'm with you in, in liking that about him, but they could have redefined the character if they'd wanted to. And he could have been a more flawed man than the, the version that we currently have. But let's get back to the, let's get back to the, the larger bigger, point, the bigger point, which is, they didn't know what they were doing. They or were, it, it was, it, it, was a, it was like my band getting together for a gig and they said, Hey, Aaron, where's the set list? Oh, we'll just, we'll just call tunes from the stage, hmm. you know, or, you know, you know, crud, I've only got three, I've only got five guitar strings. That's all right. I'll still be able to play the chords for the most part. You know, I mean, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's like, what were they doing? Because remember, and this is one of the things that the article uh, talking about the story over on StarWarsNews.net mentions, uh, that in Force Awakens, when the moment when Rey touches the lightsaber, the last voice she hears is, is uh, Hugh McGregor as young Obi-Wan going, these are your first steps. So actually, but she heard two voices. She heard Palpatine and she heard Ben's or Obi-Wan's. In other words, they knew that these were... There were three paths they were going to take. Obi-Wan, Palpatine, nobody. 
They also heard Yoda's voice too, right? Yeah, Yoda was in there. Okay, so maybe maybe Yoda was down there. Fourth path. Hey, look, 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 look. Maybe Yoda came out of something. Well, let's yeah. But that's the point. It's like they they seem to know that this is one of the three ways that they wanted this story to go. And what I, what kills me is this: the moment they picked one lane, which is what they picked in Last Jedi, stick with it. We're fine with you if that's the story you want to tell. But I, I'm, they couldn't I'm, commit to it. I'm sorry. I'm I'm cynical here. I think I think this is reverse engineering. I'm cynical that I. I think they had Ewan McGregor, you know, it say, you know, do his line in The Force Awakens because they could and they thought it would be cool. I don't think it had any sort of story development. It was just like, hey, we could get, you know, because they they got Alec Guinness to say Ray just by clipping his audio. I mean, all those things made sense that she would start hearing Jedi's like, hey, let's get Ewan McGregor. He's not doing anything. So he, you know, scurries down and does his recording. Then everybody says, she's a Kenobi. Um, I think they're reacting to fans' reaction because, you know, why else would you and McGregor be there? Well, because he's the only one alive. You know, I'm right. I'm sorry, but he's the only one they could get. So, uh, I so I th- I'm I'm cynical on that. And then, well, no, because consider, I mean, you have Hayden Christensen around. Imagine if he had dubbed another line somewhere in there. I like I liked those theories for whatever it's worth better than I did. The oh she's a Skywalker or oh she's a Solo because it just seemed like lazy storytelling to me. Um, maybe it would make more sense for the character, but I just I'm like, well, really, we're going to do that where there's a family reveal at least with like Kenobi or the Emperor is sort of out of left field. Um, but again, you can't put that past the fans because every fan theory in the world existed. Oh, she's related to Jar Jar, you know? So I'm with Fredo. It's just like, I wish they'd have stuck with one idea. And like, they they they, let's, they let's... gave interviews after Force Awakens or during Force Awakens where it's like, oh, all will be revealed in due course as if they had this all mapped out, but they, but they didn't. But that's the same BS that uh, you know, any anybody uses when they're like, uh, if somebody comes up and says, "Hey, will you play Brown Eyed Girl?" Yeah, we'll do that in the next set. I mean, you lie to people when you don't know or if you don't want to do it. I'm really sorry to be Joe cynical here, but I mean, I don't think J.J. Abrams had any idea, and I don't think he had any intention. Just. And, but, and so I think it was like once these things started to drop, I, I think I, I just think we're giving them way too cr- much credit. No, uh, I, and, I, and I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. If he knew, if he knew in Force Awakens, then when he got the job for the Rise of Skywalker, it wouldn't be that big of a cluster F. That's what really I'm saying. Yeah, that's, that's my point say. exactly. Well, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're all saying. We all agree with that. It's like yeah. they're, they're, they're making these interviews where they're like saying, oh, there's a plan. But we know there's not. We know yeah, there's and not. That's, and that's what. Hey, oh gosh, that's it's it's like a microcosm of what the government's doing to us right now, right? You know, it's like uh, the virus is going away. But um, so, but let's let's also look at this from another perspective. It's like, all right, so we've got Daisy Ridley's interview. We had John Boyega last week taking you know you know taking a stance against you know Disney and Lucasfilm. Then you also said today, Fredo, that Oscar Isaac said he would wouldn't do a Star Wars film unless he needed movie or needed money for a new 
new house or something? Yeah, yeah no, no. Did their, did, did their NDAs expire or something? I mean, well, remember, I mean, uh, for a lot, you know, for move for actors, they're in their contracts is written at a certain grace period upon which they can only talk in glowing terms about their products and they can't really be honest. But that's beyond the point now because not only has the movie been released out, the DVDs released out, the Blu-ray or whatever. So they're beyond that point now. They're they, they, the got, point. they got their money. So it's like, all right, well, it's... Well, it's not just they got their money. They're out of, they're for good out of the hands of Disney. I mean, and to be fair, when Oscar Isaac makes that quote, and I'll bring it around to something Daisy also said in her interview, is that he's not saying that he's done with Disney forever. He's just saying if he wants to go back, it's going to take a lot of money to bring him back because he's not what he's more interested in. And he was doing an interview uh, on a small indie film that he's got coming out. He's more interested in that aspect. And will, you, uh, mm -hmm. to, I'm sorry. To that, I will say that Harrison Ford came back and did you know, right. another Star Wars movie. Yeah, and, so. and how much they paid him to do it? I don't remember how much they paid him, but they probably paid him a lot. But you know, it's so, still. So just, just he, he came back out. and did too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he did one credit. So just to bounce off of that, they had no. Josh Gad did ask Daisy Ridley if he'd ever go back, and she says, "You know, I quote, I'd never say never, but to me, Rise of Skywalker was tied up with a bow. So currently, there's no plans to bring." Ray back, or there's no plans for her to return. So, as far as she's concerned, I mean, she's moving on to she's doing a new series uh, called Chaos Walking. I think that that's the movie she's promoting. It's going to come out soon with Tom Holland. She's lined up another drama movie down the line. So, she's trying to move her career forward. But but this this sounds like more like the Eagles breakup than anything. I mean, it's like nobody wants to get together and play. You know what I mean? It's like they they all like each other, but you know I'm not no I you know I'm I'm not going to be in a band with Glenn Fry again type of a thing you know it's something something happened on this set that it was not a pleasant experience for you know these three main actors that's because that's the common thread that's going through otherwise it would have been I remember sitting through parent teacher conferences or not parent teacher conferences but um, conferences with uh, you know different staff members about a kid and the kids sitting there. And, and I remember staff, you know, different staff members saying, you know, Fredo, you do this in class and you're a bad kid in this class. And then, yeah, Fredo, you do this. You're, you're a mean kid over here. And we go through all these teachers, then they'll get to me. And I was like, yeah, Fredo's a good kid in my class. I was like, what the heck's up with this? Mm -hmm. There, there is not that there, there's no like contrary opinion here. It's like, everybody's, venting about this process to uh, with at at for there nobody's saying i don't get what their problem was i had a great time well what's interesting and i'll juxtapose it with another franchise that ended like finished its run so to speak last year was game of thrones when the cast of game of thrones was coming out as the final season was coming out and everybody's asking so what do you think about this season are you excited and they're all four smiles and yeah, it's all right, and it's nice. And what they didn't want to say is, no, this this is not what I thought we were going to end with, and this was rushed, and it does a disservice to my character, which now you go back and you look at the Blu-ray special moments, whatever, when they're reading their scripts for the final episodes, and you see in their jaws drop at what's actually going to happen, and they're like, uh, are we sure this is what we want to do? 
So in some ways, their experience with one another on set with the directors may have been fine, but it's clear that there was some disconnect between the story or the plot or the plan that they've had in their minds for their roles and the way that things kind of broke apart or broke to put it in different ways as the sausage was being put together. And I, I don't want to read too much into the uh, af the immediate aftermath. They're all burned out. I mean, mm -hmm. they just are. They're like, I'm done with this for a while. I don't want to be dealing with it. I'm tired of answering all these questions about it. Every interview I do, I have to talk about Star Wars. Um, I get all this fan feedback. I'm just, I, I <laughs> kind of want to put it off to the side for a little while. And if I'm honest, that's something that happens a lot with, major movie franchises the moment that those mm -hmm. actors are allowed to be off of them and can their, their choice is often to go and make small projects independent films you know they're not ready to run into another to the arms of another major franchise i mean shoot oscar isaac for all his talk is you know the trailer for dune premiered today you know, talk about a star wars reference there and he's front and center of it because he's cast into those movies uh but by and large, most most major actors, whenever they leave a big epic multi movie saga, they're not running to another one. They want to go do something small, something quiet, you know, as opposed to another big bombastic thing. So anyway, so I mean, it's a heavy lift too. I mean, like you're talking however many months of shooting and then reshoots and. And again, the press tours oh, that go along with all that. Boy, no, that just, oh, that boy, poor it's not, people. I mean, it's not just that. You know, I mean, but it's not just that. I mean, you're talking, okay, you're doing the movie. Okay, you're doing the video game. Okay, you're doing the press tour. Okay, you're doing the Blu ray DVD commentary. Okay, you're doing every con around the globe. And, and you can somebody, say, Okay, so somebody on this podcast then tell me who forced them to sign the paper. I don't know. You signed because they it's didn't. They did not. Work. They did not get hornswoggled. And mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yes, I get it. That it's like when you get done with it, it's like okay, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of done. But there's one thing about being, and I, I don't want to. I, I I like all I like all the actors that are in this movie, but it is one of those things where it's like there's something to be said about just saying, all right, I'm done with Star Wars. And now I'll just go do other things instead of, you know, I'm done with Star Wars and I'm not going to do Star Wars again unless I need to buy a bigger house. You know, that, I mean, that, that's kind of why, why do you take the dig, Oscar Isaac? You know, um, you know, I, but, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to back off for that again and say something has caused this, that there is something. I mean, that, I'm still waiting for the true Hollywood story on, you know, the sequel trilogy, because that I, this will be an interesting story to tell. Yeah. Well, speaking of interesting story to tell, the other story I want to talk to, and we'll get spend a, a segue off of get Aaron to quit griping and just move on. Uh, to yeah. No, 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 no. Again, tune in next week for Aaron have rails that uh, started as a story group to be continued. <laughs> but no, actually, the next story is we had a big spread story on Entertainment Weekly for Mandalorian Season 2. Uh, they got access to it, they had photos on set, and so they're talking about how the, the fact is everybody falls in love with Baby Yoda. I think who was, I forget who which actor said as they're walking past, 
you know, baby Yoda's there, you start talking to it, like, like it's alive, it's going to start replying back to you. But no, so uh, just a kind of a few uh, uh, highlights from the article, because it's really good and everybody should read it. Uh, John Rangers are back. Yeah. John Favreau, first of all, says that the way he knew that the show had, had kind of hit it big was when they're talking about it. In, no, he goes to France and he sees this big old graffiti on the side of a road of Baby Yoda. And he's like, the show's not even there. It hasn't premiered there. How the heck did you guys get it here? Never mind, hit this. But it says it's hitting, it hit the side guys at a perfect moment. Uh, but no, but in some of the quotes that they go regarding, uh, apparently it's John Favreau who writes the stories, but Dave Filoni is the one who keeps him on track and tells him, no, 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 you can't do that. So in some ways, the same way that uh, George Lucas worked for Filoni in Clone Wars is the way that uh, Favreau and Filoni are working on Mandalorian. Uh, let's see. You know, <laughs> speaking of, you know, regarding about dialogue, he says there aren't, you know, there aren't dimes in Star Wars. Not a dime a dozen dialogue. Every line has to hit. Uh, but no, but like, I'm trying to get to some of this stuff. Okay, so expect the Outer Rim to get a lot more crowded in season two. Not that there's a Rhodes Gallery of actors can't seem who are going to come in. Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, Timura Morrison. That's the first. That's the first uh, confirmation we've gotten of that. Yeah. Yep. Plain, and I say plain, presumably some version of a clone trooper or iconic bounty hunter Boba Fett. So they're hedging their bets. Uh, Katie Sackhoff confirmed as Bo-Katan. Michael Bean and Timothy Oliphant as unknown characters. Gina Carano says some of the characters are true, some of them are not true. So and she even says that, you know, season one was very much laid back. Season two, they're getting, they're only getting their own scripts for their episodes they're in. They're being ushered to the sets in black cloaks and hoods. Uh, she mentions that she's working. Apparently, her character is going to be teamed up with uh, Grief Karga, Chips, for this Chubbs. season. Uh, I'm sorry. I totally misunderstood. Okay, so the the article yeah. says, uh, talks about all the people who are rumored of being in. None of these are, are confirmed. Well, uh, they're talking. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, Gina, they're, Gina Carano says that some are, some aren't. Okay, so... Right. I mean, some are, some aren't, but she's trying to, you know, actually, you know, when she means some are, some aren't, you know, she's discussing, uh, yeah, who's not been confirmed because, again, it's all secret. Uh, what's been confirmed is some of the directors, so Rick Famuyiwa coming back, Carl Weathers is going to be directing an episode, Robert Rodriguez will be new, and John Favreau is actually directing the season premiere. So he's actually going to get behind the, and I believe, yeah, I was going to say maybe Pedro, but no. Uh, I actually uh, one thing. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to get to some of the stuff about season two. So, Mando and the child pursued by Gideon, who serve as a source of temptation in classic Star Wars villains trying to lure, trying to lure the heroes down a dark path. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito goes, "I'll be going toe to toe with Mando. I want to disarm him mentally as well. Who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity to get him to fight some of my battles for me." So you may think I'm a villain, but I'm trying to harness energy and powers for a path that could be best for us all. So, and regarding the dark saber, he says, I, it's exciting for me to be in a show where I can wear a cape and where I can have a lightsaber and really own it. So I guess we're <laughs> expecting to see him wielding the lightsaber, the dark saber. 
which means which means he's got to be swinging up against somebody with a lightsaber. Otherwise, it's you know. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to see some Ahsoka stuff here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, okay. So interesting. You mentioned because we mentioned Yaddle right quick and Yoda, maybe being a grandparent. Uh, he said when <laughs> John Favreau came up with the idea of baby of the child being kind of the thing that everything swings around. And Dave Filoni kind of warned him, saying, look, that's very tricky because we've never had, you know, this species that's out of Yoda and Yaddle in the prequels. So it's kind of sacred. We have to be responsible. We're telling a story with what we're deciding to do because the fans want to know things and things are, kind of, you know, it's a calculated, careful decision. So if you tell a good story, they'll go with it, but expect a lot of questions. So let's uh, let's talk about a couple things here because I forgot to mention this uh, last week. I saw um, a, a speculative article: um, Baby Yoda and Anakin Skywalker are the same age. Hmm. Both born. And, and so the the speculation is that you know the Force created Baby Yoda to balance against. Anakin Skywalker. Um, kind seems of kind of, kind of seems kind of weird for the Force to be balancing itself out by bringing a character who won't be able to fight the bad guy for I don't know another two hundred years. Well, I mean, fight the bad guy or just you know have you know equal parts good, equal parts you know bad. Um, I don't know, um, but uh, well, gosh, what was the other part of this? I was going to. Um, well, I can Talk say something. Yeah, I, go ahead. They, um, I've seen that quote that Filoni gave related back to the quotes that uh, Daisy Ridley gave on the sequel trilogy, where it's like you have to be very measured and you have to be very careful and you have to have a plan. <laughs> and it was just like, wow, okay, that's really, really laid bare the inefficiencies of the, of the sequel trilogy. But... Um, but it's you also cognizant of what what's the expectation is going to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's the problem. Again, like if it weren't for the you know three of us like sitting around here debating all of this stuff, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal either way. Um, I, I've made that point, which is like general audiences probably, you know, they don't have as big a problem with the sequel trilogy as we might. So here's um, the. Here's the thing that was in my brain. Sorry, it's just my yeah, old go man. I got I got to spit it out real quick. The thing that I think that is that we've breezed over. Everybody's breezed over because we're all hung up on boss. Is coming, you know, into this series, and we're going to have, you know, maybe Ahsoka is going to be there. We're going to have Boba Fett. But let's remember what the Doctor had on his arm pat. What his arm patch was. It was Camino. He was, it had something to do with the Kaminoans. So there's something to do with cloning here. And I, I think, I think what's, what's interesting is like, you know, everybody's wanting to see a trailer. They love the entertainment weekly articles. I love it too. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but we're all talking about the superficial things about, you know, who's going to be in it and not where, you know, what's, what's the story look like? And let's look at the cues that was given to us in season one. And one of the biggest clues was that Kaminoan patch, mm -hmm. you know, so either a, the child was cloned or B somebody wants to clone the child 
for what reason? You know okay. what I mean? Remind me, you guys may know better than I. Whatever happened to the Caminoans after the Clone Wars? Did we get a resolution for them? I don't. Yeah, I don't think that's been touched on at all. I mean, there I might know. be some. Yeah, that may be a Wikipedia search, right? Quick, I don't know. Yeah, because I'm trying to think. Because the last time we see Camino itself is the episode where, uh, what's the name of that squad from uh, Clone Wars, where they're defending it from the invasion from uh, the Separatists. I believe that's the last time we see it in any kind of way, shape, or form. But you know what I mean. We're 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 hung up so much on, like all the, mm -hmm. the window dressing and mm -hmm. not talking about what the windows are made of. Well, exactly. Because, because in some ways, the, first of all, the window dressing is cool. It's exciting and it's awesome. And you want to, you want that window dressing for your house, but it's also part of, uh, you know, kind of the magic trick that comes with storytelling. It's yeah, look, Boba Fett. Yeah. Look, live action Bo-Katan. Yeah. Look, maybe, you know, Ahsoka, but, this, these are the characters who are going to give it flavor. It's not the base. The base of the story remains the child and Din Djarin. It's their story. So um, Moff Gideon is going to impact that story way more than any of these other characters are because those are the characters going to be on, the, on a periphery rotating around. They may come, they may go, they'll come back. But it seems like it's very much Mandalore, Mando's quest to find either Baby Yoda's people or to bring him to the Jedi. Or in the meantime, to keep him alive while uh, Moff Gideon is chasing after him. Now, why is he chasing after him? Why do you want him in the first place? That's that's one of the mysteries that season one set up from this very first episode. So uh, two questions. One, mm -hmm. do you uh, think we will get a trailer? And two, do you think we need a trailer? Yes and no. So yes, the first one. I think we'll get a trailer sometime. Listen, I mean, remember, we're talking. We're now at the start of September. This show will not come out till literally the next to last day of October. So we could probably still go another th two, three weeks, and then get a trailer. You know, that's perfectly fine. Uh, and could then kind of drive the a reminder to people to, because you're going to want to remind people, hey, it's coming, it's coming, and it's very easy to put a trailer for Mandalorian before Monday Night Football, and that that's pretty much what they'll do, kind of like they did. For all the Marvel movies, where you know, <laughs> can, you what, can you imagine what Monday Night Football is going to look like this year? Bum, 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 bum. Uh, yeah, cheap, cheap, cheap. exactly. Cheap, cheap. Air conditioning running, <laughs> but, but that's that's the model that uh, Disney, with its various uh, media arms, has taken to. It's you know they'll premiere the trailer for any of the any of the Star Wars movies during halftime of Monday Night Football. So I'm pretty sure we'll get one then. Probably either at the tail end of this month or beginning of next month. Do we need one? No. I mean, unless you've not seen, you know, unless you've not seen Mandalorian or somehow skipped it, you pretty much know if it's something you want to see or not. And if you want to see it, you know it's October thirtieth. I'll, I'll say yes and yes to your questions. Yeah. Um, I don't personally need the, a trailer. Uh, I know we're going to get one, and it's because they want to drum up subscriptions. Uh, to their service, their uh, subscription service. So they're going, they're going to release one. They have to do it. It's the responsible thing to do. Um, do I personally need a trailer? No, not at all. So right quick before we finish off the the article, because I, I did, did touch base on the impact of COVID nineteen on them. So they say that they're filming wrap 
four days before the industry-wide shutdown caused by COVID-19 in March. But the team had to figure out its labor-intensive post-production process in the era. And they say the biggest challenge was pulling off the orchestra score by Ludwig Goranson, because you have to have people recording remotely or in much smaller groups very far apart. So John Favreau says, we're finally hearing the music now, so we're mixing episodes in, and it's remarkable what they're able to achieve under the circumstances, which is something I didn't think of, but yeah, you can't have a 90-piece orchestra all gathering together in the time of COVID. No, but you can certainly, um, you can certainly get uh, like one violin player to play both violin parts, just track them separately. Then you can, if they know how to play viola, you, you could, you can do it with uh, just as much studio magic. I mean, but my point is now you're having to take multiple days and multiple people and kind of, you know, instead of, okay, we're just going to do knock this out over a week or whatever, you know, the music's written, we're just going to go now, you know, now you're having to piece it, piecemeal it together as opposed to one piece. Yeah, but what, I, what I'm saying, though, is, again, speaking from experience, is that you, you, you would think that having the entire orchestra together to record would be the simplest way, but there's intonation issues and there's, you know, timing issues that, you know, if you got 90 people and, you know, the 89th person screws up in one place, then it, you know, it's, then everybody's got to redo it. If you can get, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, a string quartet and a couple brass players that can record all these parts and then just track them. I, I don't, th I don't think it's that as big of an issue as probably what they want to make it. They, you know, it's more interesting for the story. I'm just saying that, you know, like I said, uh, when you know that that Prince played all the parts on his albums, when the Boston albums were all recorded by two people and then they just taught it to the rest of the band when they went to tour. I mean, it's been going on forever. You know, Sergeant Peppers was recorded on four tracks. So, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not to, I, I don't think that's as probably big of an issue. Yeah, it probably made them go, what are we going to do? But, um, yeah, because you got to figure it also probably impacted all the special effects, all the post production teams. Now you're having, instead of having one, your special effects are, you know, ILM team at Skywalker Ranch devoted to Mandalorian. They're all working from home and they're all having to share files across San Francisco and the Northern California area. Yeah, but that was, a, and, and again, not to make this Aaron is going to be contrarian all, you know, through this podcast, but, you know, when they were, when they were filming episode one, I remember them talking about how, that, wow, this is so cool. We can, we can send dailies, you know, via the internet to people in California. So Lucasfilm has been prepping for this for quite some time. It's it's not like, oh heavens, whatever will we do? I mean, I mean, they yeah, have, they, yeah, it it threw a stick in the spokes, but I mean, they have they have ways now, which are yeah. far easier to make, you no, know, to put it together. But still, I'm pretty sure they were figure trying to figure all this out as they go along. Go, oh, we can do it. Okay, cool. Uh, make, one, make one quick note on Camino since we were talking about it. Um, right. Apparently, they addressed it briefly in the Darth Vader comic, um, where a clone trooper said that uh, he heard that they'd shut down all of the cloning facilities. Um, and that was it. That was the last reference. So, um, some at some point, very quickly after the end of the Clone Wars, they shut it all down, and we haven't heard from them since. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
which brings up the point the fact that they had a non-Camino and wearing their uniform, so to speak, and trying to mm -hmm. get his hands on Baby Yoda. You know, all this, all this being said, though, whenever there's an Entertainment Weekly or Vanity Fair spread on a new Star Wars thing, I eat that crap up like it was chocolate pudding. I mean, it's I love I love these things. I love just pictures and but uh, yeah, and the the article does a really good job of really not telling you anything. No, you know? uh, the one the one thing they said that they finished on, and that's probably the only thing they said is, you know, Gina Carano's like, I have no question, fans are gonna like this season even more. Everything's in there. If you're a Star Wars fan, you're gonna get to see things you've always wanted to see. To which Filoni puts it, you want the Empire Strikes Back to be better than a New Hope, so. They know there's expectations, and they try to rise up to meet them. By the way, a uh, little bit of just as you mentioned, Gina Carano, um, and you know I've become a fan, but uh, it's kind of like you know you have the the wind taken out of your sails every now and again. She uh, apparently has been going off on social media about how all the COVID restrictions that are in place are oppressive. Mm. Which. It's kind of like, you know, you. Um, she's not I, the only one. That, she's not the only one I've heard that I like say that, and I'm like, I'm always like, I agree with you, but at the same time, there's a reason for all this. Nobody wants to. I mean, but I'm, but, but I'm, I'm practicing what I preach because I said, you know, it's like I believe that you know, celebrities and athletes, things like that, they should use their platform for what they believe in, even if it's stuff that I don't agree with. Right. So, um, but yeah, she's, uh, it, it's one of those things where it's kind of like a, like I said, take the wind out of your sails a little bit. It's like, ah, really? mm -hmm. and to be fair, you know, it, that's, I even feel like I said, there's people I really love that have said stuff like that. And I'm always going like, ah, oh, well, you know, and again, it's, it's all a strange and heady time and nobody, nobody has hundred uh, percent, all the answers and in, in that doubt, stuff happens so anyway so that's the news well cool well thanks fredo um so now on to the the meat of the episode which you know won't be uh, i think the meat of the episode was actually the news um because like i said got us ranting and raving uh, but, uh, yeah we uh we've all uh kind of taken to a this is not going to be star wars related at all um so it's going to be video game related um, as you know, we, uh, we're all of different levels, video game fans, you know, um, I'm a button smasher, you know, um, and, uh, but, uh, there's an awesome new, uh, series on Netflix called high score. I stumbled upon it just because I was hit, you know, hit the Netflix button on my TV and I was like, I was like, high score, what's this? And it's kind of. Uh, would you agree that it's kind of like the toys that made us, but with video games, kind of, and a little less campy? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so what it is, uh, it, I'll just read the descriptor uh, from Netflix. It said, Space Invaders and Pac-Man lead an arcade craze while Atari's cartridge system dominates home gaming until a high-profile failure sparks a downfall. Um, so the episodes... Uh, I'll just go through them real quick. Um, episode one is Boom and Bust. Space Invaders and Pac-Man lead an arcade craze while Atari's cartridge system downsizes 
home gaming until a high profile failure sparks a downfall. That okay, so that was the thing from earlier. Anyway, okay. Uh, episode two is Comeback Kid, a Japanese card uh, company called Nintendo enters gaming and hits it big with Donkey Kong, then later takes over home gaming with the NES. Episode three is Role Players, inspired by Dungeons and Dragons, adventure and role playing computer games introduce unprecedented levels of choice and complexity of players. Episode four is This Is War, Sega's Genesis console and its speedy new character Sonic hit the market. Electronic Arts kick off the partnership with football legend John Madden. Episode five is Fight, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat give rise to head to head fighting genre but the increasing graphic violence in games brings controversy. And then episode six is Level Up. Nintendo goes 3D with Star Fox. Wolfstein 3D, uh, Wolfenstein 3D popularizes the first-person shooter format, while Doom ups the ante with network gaming. So again, we're going through kind of a, a history of video games. Um, uh, let's just, real quick, what was your... I mean. Dave, have you seen, have you watched the entire series or are you partway through or? Partway through now. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it so far. I like um, I like it a lot. Um, and when you suggested that we dedicate an episode to it because we've all been watching it, uh, I was on board um, just because it is something that we're all enjoying, but it, it made me question, it's like, why, why does it appeal so much? And obviously the nostalgia of it yeah um because it that this was this is, this is our childhood right here <laughs> mm -hmm. um this was kind of the golden era for us i mean this um and you know i don't know how you define that in a broader sense um you could you could say oh well the ps2 sold more units than any other console so that would be the high water mark or you could say oh modern gaming is so much better um but you know for us older fogies um, there was something really magical about growing up during that time frame because you got to see a true evolution. And, let me, uh, yeah. Let me, and before I go to Fredo here, let me, let me say this real quick, cause I'm older than both of you. And so I, while I like this series, my interest level waned off about halfway through because let me, let me just talk real quick. First of all, I remember, um, going to the arcades with my brother and actually even my mom, like on Sundays, she'd take us to an arcade and we'd play Pac-Man, play Donkey Kong or to a 7-Eleven or whatever to play Donkey Kong, all these things. So episode one was like, you know, yeah, wow, this is so cool. And then I, I'll never forget, uh, for various reasons, getting our first Atari. Um, obviously, Nintendo Donkey Kong was is my favorite game ever. Um, I remember when I got my NES. I remember the first time I played an NES at my friends and I was like, I really want this. This is so cool. So again, I'm in like my middle school age right now. Um, but then, you know, started getting to the, the role playing stuff and um, Sega Genesis. That's where I kind of start drifting away from video games for a while. Um, so, I, and I'm guessing that's probably where maybe for you guys, that's where it really starts hitting home because that's probably when you were in your middle school age, you know, formative years. Um, but uh, Fredo, what, what have you been thinking about this series? So first of all, I did finish it. I mean, it's a very easy series. It's six episodes, one hour each. And they kind of, one of the things I like is that it has a very brisk pace. 
So even though they're they're going, you know, their theme, they're trying to bring about a number of different technologies and different games that kind of go hand in hand together. And the show does a really good point of explaining how the multi multi billion dollar industry that's gaming came out from out of the labs and out of the computer labs and engineering classrooms of places like MIT slowly you know merged what was happening in Japan and was just dumped into the, into the arcades of America and across the world uh, in terms of my background I mean I remember being a kid of the 80s I mean being seven eight years old and there were arcades doing every shopping center every even in Nicaragua and here in, in the states and Guatemala where I uh, spent the Christmas you know you'd go to the movie theater next to the movie theater was an arcade. You'd go to have dinner, next to dinner, there'd be an arcade, and you'd always find stuff like Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Space Invaders. So the old console, you know, no console, the old uh, big box kind of place that you went and just dumped all your quarters. And then what's interesting is that kind of went away for a while or kind of went down as the Nintendo came up. And I remember being a kid, uh, no, back then I wasn't lucky enough to have a Nintendo or a Sega. So, hey, you have a friend who has a Nintendo, so everybody... You know, kind of like the commercial for uh, that they show Nintendo having, hey, you got a Nintendo, so everybody's coming over, that kind of thing. And, you know, you played Castlevania, Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt. Duck. Duck. Anyway, uh, or you went to the other friends who had the Sega and played that when that came out. Uh, and then what's funny is when they start talking about the fighting game renaissance and all Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter 2, <laughs> Booming. Street Fighter has happened. Yeah, yeah, Street Fighter too. No, Street Fighter uh, too. And I remember everybody just the line of people. Okay, you want to take next? The, you, you would put a quarter, and you put your quarter on the line, and that's how you yep. do. You're yeah. next. So it's interesting because I kept going from one aspect to the other. I mean, it started in the arcades, and you're like, well, that's a fun thing. You kind of went and did if you went out to. Oh, you can do this now at home and. They went back to the arcades, and now we're back into the home console kind of thing. So you know what also is really interesting and enjoyable about this series is that it's not a bunch of middle-aged white guys talking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's a very yeah, diverse. It's a very diverse cast. You know, talking about their experiences with um, with video games. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, so, you know, so going back, some of the things I found really interesting in that first episode, like I, you just thought growing up, it's like, okay, Miss Pac-Man was the sequel to Pac-Man. But, you know, the story behind it being that, no, was people got bored of the, the same levels in Pac-Man. So they hacked Pac-Man and then they got ended up getting hired by Midway and they just, okay, well, we'll create Miss Pac-Man. You know, basically they took their new levels and put a bow on the Pac-Man, and um, same thing with uh, with Missile Command, right? That was, right. Um, you know, it, Missile Command Two was like just hacked by some MIT guys. Um, so that that whole thing is was really interesting. And I remember my brother. Um, I, I don't want to say too much, but you know, they he and his friends were were very smart. Let's just say that. And technology, it was not as secure and locked down as technology is now. So if you were smart enough 
to figure it out. I mean, that's what I think is just so interesting. But then it was, you know, even more so is that the companies were like, all right, you hacked our game. We're not going to sue you. We're going to hire you. Because what happened, I mean, that's one of the elements that the show kind of. Well, they tried to sue, but then they end up hiring them. But anyway, go ahead. One of the things that the show was very good about getting across to you as the audience is that you were very much on the cutting edge. Nobody had done any of this. So it was very much, uh, hey, you, you, you bought a machine, you took it apart, you figured out how to make it better. Well done. Let, let's say, okay, show us how you did that. Uh, the episode on the Game Boy and trying to turn it into a 3D machine and how yeah. the guys in England who did that were hired by Nintendo and they're the guys who helped code and design Star Fox for the SNES. And it's because, you know, they all show up and they're like, wait, wait, how do you, you know, they fly them to Japan and they're asking them, how did you do that? Which, it's like, okay, which, let me show you. Which that's so funny because, you know, they talk about Star Fox like they just, you know, I don't know, created a whole new world. And you look at Star Fox and it's like you're looking at the original Star Wars video game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just interesting how because I've been playing Mario Odyssey, you know, where it's clean graphics and 3D and everything. But um, I don't know. Dave, what if what? What episodes have stuck out to you so far in this? I mean, like, I love the, the what you referenced with the Miss Pac-Man stuff, especially because if you think about it in, in the context of, of where someone might look at that, um, that particular series today, um, and, and it's important. It's just like, yeah, I know Pac-Man was important. You hear about a lawsuit probably every five months relating to Pac-Man or Ms. Pac-Man. And it's like, well, why? <laughs> why is somebody getting sued over Pac-Man? Didn't we figure all that out, you know, 40 years ago? No. <laughs> no, they didn't because... Oh. So, sorry, talk about talk about the famous lawsuit of, that involves Donkey Kong and, yep. and Kirby. How are those two things linked? Totally, I know. There you go, too. I mean, like, IP in video games was like the Wild West back then. And it's still to a certain degree that way because you've got a lot of like smaller developers, indie, indie developers doing smaller games. And there's people constantly on the lookout for, you know, possible infringement cases. Uh, there, and like you said, it's this mega billion dollar industry. So people are constantly looking for a way to make a quick buck in there. Um, But yeah, the Donkey Kong example, you know, clearly based on King Kong in some respects. Um, And they had to litigate that in court with Universal Studios. It's like, well, how closely associated is this to King Kong? Do you own, do you owe Universal some money? Um, Like you said, the lawyer who they ultimately uh, represented them and, and and helped them win the case. They named a video game character after him, Kirby. Um, it kind of looks like him too. Yeah, yeah, and he made. I think he made the joke that like you're gonna you're gonna name a video game character after a lawyer who might sue you for you know infringing upon yeah likeness rights. I mean, come on, let's, this is ridiculous. Um, so that was a great great story as well. Um, but in terms of like how this stuff relates to the now, I, I think like that's just like really interesting because it's still going on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I, you know, I think in in entertainment in general, you're always going to have issues of uh, uh, relating to you know copyright and um, you know owning this particular story or the or these characters and somebody copying them and doing stuff with them. You know, it's it's still relevant today because it's still going on today. Yeah, no, I think uh, the episodes, the ones that kind of hit me the most were for, you know, the ones talking about the console wars between Sega and Nintendo, just because that was right at the time that I was in middle school going into high school. So I remember vividly the idea of you were either a Nintendo house or a Sega house. And, you know, those first, that, those first Madden games, which hilariously enough is now getting raked over the coals because EA has basically let that thing languish at the vine because they don't they want to get maximum profit with minimal effort but back then in those days you know when you go from super tech mobile and eight bit figures to 16 bits and you're picking the place and they're running the place that you're picking it just blows your mind so that one kind of hit me and then uh the one about you know we're talking looking at the guys that developed doom and it's interesting that the show ends when it does because it could have kept going it would have been interesting to see how they would have tackled what happens to a lot of the people in the 90s in terms of gaming. Because the the 70s were just technology development, 80s were design and creation. And you get to see whether it's the guys who developed the sound for video games at Nintendo, the guys designing the, the look and feel of video games from the 80s. And in the 90s, it's almost like, well, now this is established and people become rich and famous because of it. It's almost... It almost becomes a tragic tale for some of these characters, like John Romero, the designer for Doom. I mean, I was laughing when they're talking about him firing off the press release, saying that Doom's going to come out on this day and it's going to do this much, which the game hadn't even been designed to do. Yeah, they didn't have one thing on it. Because he repeats that. Well, he does, he says he did, but the same mistake gets repeated with his next game after he leaves it Software and becomes one of the most infamous moments in video game history. Which is just, you're just like, why would you repeat that? But then it's like, well, if all you know is success and you think yourself as the rock star of video games, yeah, you're well, going to come, come back down to earth very hard. And he did. And those guys, uh, that was that episode, uh, you know, what it told me was just they were, they were not genius in creating video games. They were genius in marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they figured out how to, you know, it, it's, it was like the the rock band putting flyers on people's cars when the bigger rock band is playing, you know, in the stadium, you know, mm-hmm. so you get people to come to your shows. They they figured out how to get people to play their game because what they distributed, you got like freeware. Yeah, and no, what happens is they, then if you wanted more levels, you wanted the rest of the game, you had to buy it. Right. And so you give you give them a free taste, and then they have to buy the second. But it's so. yeah, but it's the kind of thing you do when you're a small indie developer. You know, if you're not Nintendo, that's one of the things that, you know, the show doesn't get into. But it's if you're a Nintendo, if you're a Sega, you have a corporation backing you. If you're most of the indie developers, you're on your own. You're coding and you're making it work in your spare time, you know, doing it late at night and whatever. You know, you're almost having to hack other people's. And I think they mentioned John Carmack, hack Nintendo. So what's it? Super Mario Brothers 2 to get side scrolling to work. Yeah. You know, totally getting up, putting themselves up at risk if they ever release that to the public. But that idea of, okay, we don't have rules here because, well, we already, you know, 
we're living on the you know kind of on the edge here. Um, so there's a there's another thing that was really my wife and I talk about this a lot, um, especially when we like go to Disney. As we're talking about, you know, when I was a teacher and she's a teacher, we talk about, you know, kids have a very narrow view of what kind of jobs are possible. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing in this series that, that, that stuck out to me was, for example, the, the guy who, you know, goes to Nintendo for a summer job thinking he's going to stock, you know, work in the shipping department or something, and he's a gameplay counselor. And he's like, right. I, I think he's like almost maybe he, then he ends up working for Nintendo his like entire life or something. Um, or, you know, there are, if you're musically inclined, you know, they need people to compose music. If you are, you know, so like I so said, when we go to Disney, we think about this, you know, people who are maybe get an interior design, you know, major, that doesn't mean that you're a degree, that doesn't mean you're going to design people's houses, you could go work for Disney and design, you know, um, parts of a, of a theme park. Um, and I think that's one thing. But then also it gets into, again, if you are kind of a hacky kid, and I mean, somebody who likes to get into technology, you know, there's, there's a role for you someplace where you can figure out how to put these games together that, you know, when you go to school, you're just hearing, okay, I've got to be an electrical engineer and I'm going to go work for the government or I've got to be a doctor, I've got to be a lawyer, I've got to be a teacher. Um, and I think this this series kind of emphasizes that, man, that you just need to be, if you got a talent, there's a place for you. So I don't know, that was just kind of a nerdy thing that I noticed. I thought I really noticed that in the role-playing uh, game uh, right. episode because like there are these people that are just, uh, you know, they interviewed the designer of, the, the, the one role-playing game who was just like, I just had this idea for a story and I wanted to build out this story. I didn't know the first thing about programming or, you know, so I, I figured I had to connect with this other guy who was a programmer and like, they weren't like making role-playing games at that point, but he's like, Oh, I love this idea. We're going to do this thing. And you know what? We're gonna add, attach graphics to it, which is like something that hadn't been do they they hadn't been doing yet. It was just like they just had an idea that, and they had um, it was a fully fleshed out idea. It wasn't just you know something that you throw against the wall, um, but like they had a concept, they had a passion for that concept, and they're like, let's go make this thing happen. And you know, and I think like that's really interesting. Because again, I, I relate it back to today and what you're talking about with like kids uh, and trying to relate to them like on this level of you don't have to go get some stuffy, boring office job necessarily. You know, you you can go work, like you said, for Disney. You can go work for a video game company. You can do these things. Um, no. Well, no. I'm going to go ahead, Fredo. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, now, the one thing that, unfortunately, the show, because it doesn't propel itself forward to modern day, is it doesn't touch upon elements of some of the abuses that are prevalent in video game industry. Oh, yeah. Namely, yeah. time crunch, meaning, oh, we got to get to meet this deadline to release this game by third quarter of the calendar year. You are now working 70 hours a week. You're, you better be coding or you better be on your way to code. No, you don't get no life. You, you know, and people 
have mental breakdowns, have nervous breakdowns. Oh, yeah. Well, if there's Run a – And I wish the show had gotten into that. And if there's if there's a second season, I think another thing is getting into the, um, you know, the conflict between male and female gamers, Big and time. and the abuse that that happens there as well. Um, again, I think this you're right. This is a very this this series is very Possibly. very very sanitized. Yeah, it's it's very it's just again it's the toys that made us. It's it makes you happy and makes you nostalgic. But if yeah, if you want to get into, I think that's probably season two is going to be the dark times, you know, um, because <laughs> well, you know, that's when I mean, you get into they, online gaming and stuff like that, you know. But also, I mean, they they discuss uh, both in the role playing game and through one of the uh, champions, you know, the lack of access to not just women but people of LGBT. Uh, uh, persuasion, you know, or, or you know, background. They don't have, you know, it takes one of them to design an RPG for them. It's like, wait a minute. And that's one of the things that modern games have somewhat gotten better. You know, whether you're playing a Bauer game where you can play a male character who has romantic relationships with other male characters or a female with a female or whatever, or if you decide to, you know, describe yourself as something else, that allows you for. But that's not still... You know, or, I mean, look, you know, when, when we get to the whole, um, whatchamacallit, uh, big fight that they had a few years ago with the Edge Lords, that's going to be an ugly episode. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, however, I want to say that, uh, you know, when you say that it, it man, it, 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 why, why isn't, why aren't people creating, you know, games for different communities, things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, one of the things I, I always kind of err sometimes, night, very naively so but you know um on assuming positive intentions and i'm going to give a personal story to this where when i when i worked for this startup company that created virtual training for google apps um they you know they needed said hey aaron we need you to make some um some videos video lessons of google hangouts and so i you know i had the scripts written so basically i just had i got a couple friends to get on a hangout just like we are now and and basically walk through the script so we can get video to back it up, right? And so they came back to me and they're like, yeah, this is nothing but white guys. <laughs> and it didn't even, I mean, I, I wasn't malicious in thinking I'm only gonna get white guys to be in my hangout for this, but I just I just knew that, you know, these two guys would get on a hangout, no problem. I didn't think about, yeah, I should probably have you know, a person of color, I should have a female, you know, just so that, so when people watch this video, they, you know, even if it's just video training on Google apps, they feel like it's part of their community. Now I know. So, you know, I can see somebody when they're, you know, developing a game, it's like, they're not probably going to say, I don't want any gay people. There are going to people who are going to say that I don't want any gay people in there, but you know, they just may just, I'm just creating a game. Um, but it is, but you're right now the the evolution has been that now that is a conscious thought. That is something that, you know, getting, you know, a wider audience and knowing that gamers are not just, like I said earlier, you know, straight white guys. I mean, there was the episode of, uh, when they talk about Madden and the guy who keeps ringing up everybody on EA's list on the phone book until he finally gets a job with EA and is able to design 
Madden, and he's like, and it occurs to him, wait a minute, he's, you know, he's a black gay man, and he's like, why is Madden, you know, an NFL game, not have black players? And, and again, it takes somebody who's usually not within to point out what's apparently the obvious. So, it's hey, sometimes did either, that. Hmm? did either of you guys play Tecmo Bowl? Oh yeah. Was, was was Bo Jackson seriously like the cheat code there that you could like just score all the live long day if you were Bo Jackson? I saw a Family Guy episode with that. Mm-hmm. No, I think yep. what it was, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. I think what it was is his like rankings because it was wasn't it like Bo Jackson's, you know, like the branded star of the game, that kind of thing. Um, or maybe I don't. Mean, I don't. I mean, like, I just I know that. He was godlike. I'll just put yeah. it like that. I mean, he was amazing. In uh, modern parlance, yeah. In modern yeah. parlance, he had his all his settings were at ninety nine, yeah. which meant you couldn't tackle him, you couldn't run faster than him. So it's hilarious. Um. So yeah, like I said, I, I mean, I don't know how much more we could. I, I guess I, let me ask you guys this also because I was never into any of the role playing games. Let's let's move, you know, further through history and like get into world of Warcraft stuff like that. You guys ever been in part of the, the RPG? I mean, I love, I mean, not necessarily like, it's funny. I left, co- I graduated college in 1999. My brother who's a year younger than me graduates 2000. In the year that I left, cause when I'm in college, we are taking over the computer lab and the engineering uh, for building <laughs> to play Warcraft and Starcraft when that come out, Starcraft one. Because you could have LAN parties, meaning you're all connected on the same network. You can all multiplay. So you just play Warcraft, Starcraft, and then Command and Conquer. So it's real-time strategy games where you're battling one another. The year after I leave is when EverQuest comes out. And that took over the engineering lab. And all my friends, you know, my brother, they're all playing like, you know, it gets called Evercrack because people are playing it nonstop. And I believe a year or two later or a few years later, World of Warcraft comes out, but up at that point, I was like, I know myself, I better not do that. But I've played plenty of RPGs, like you know, whether it's the Bioware RPGs or um, or The Witcher, you know, those kind of games. Yeah, those kind of rocks. I think you kind of touched on something there, which is the, the communal aspect of gaming, which I think is is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when you're talking about the early days, it was like, well, I'm going to the arcade. You know, and I'm plunking down my quarter, and this kid over here, he may or may not be somebody I already know, but after we go a couple of rounds on this game, Street Fighter or whatever, um, we're going to know each other a little bit better after that. Um, And then you talk about, like, how that evolved over time. You talk about LAN parties. You know, people nowadays, they probably don't know the first thing about what that would look like. Like, why would that be necessary? We had high-speed wi-fi right we had this we had no no (laughs) you did not have those things um so you needed like a really fast ethernet connection um and um i was about the same age when i was in college in the mid to late 90s and that was a big gaming time uh for me as well because again you're you're stuck in a dormitory with you know a bunch of other dudes and you're like well what are we gonna do it's like um you know later on we're going to this party but what are we gonna do for the next four hours until the party it's like, oh well let's play this game um and you could hook up you know on different computers or different 
you know, gaming systems from different rooms and you could, you know, club somebody's head in from down the hall and hear their reaction from down the hall, them screaming, you know, and uh, that was a very satisfying experience. So you know, I think the I think it would also when you again going through the series, that's the evolution of games. You see, it ends kind of on the 3D element, mm-hmm. and obviously now the big thing is you know VR, and I don't think VR is close to affordable yet for mainstream um, and for it to be good. Um, but th- that's the thing that's kind of struck me with getting the Nintendo Switch is that. Now it's like I can be playing my game, you know, on my big screen TV. And then it's like, you know, okay, I got to go to the bathroom. I can just take it with me into the bathroom. Not that I have yet, but, you know, <laughs> or it's like, continue your game. Or it's like, okay, we got to go on a road trip to, you know, wherever you can, you know, throw it in your bag and you can have it, you know, on the airplane with you. Um, the fact that you could have multiple people play, you know, on this little tiny screen if you wanted to. So I just, it's interesting to me to see, I guess, where, where, how technology evolves through all of this. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, you mentioned like, you know, being in the dorm and okay, it's Friday now, you're about to head out, but before what you're going to do and people just getting like, uh, and I'm going to, again, dating myself, uh, GoldenEye 64 or the Nintendo 64. That's the first multiplayer game that everybody just, it's, you know, you got a group of like five, six people, ah, you got to wait for, for this round to finish. And whoever the last one or whoever those awards one gives up the controller and off you go. And those are fun times because, again, it's the idea of being able to play one another, which now is far more common because, you know, multiplayer, and I think that came out, out of Halo and Halo 2 a few years afterwards. But the idea of being able to connect with one another and play against one another, because that's one of the things that the show presents. It's the initial challenge for you was beat the game. And slowly, whether it's the fighting games or the sports games, the challenge becomes no longer just beat the game, beat your opponent, beat the other person who's playing against you at the same time. And that creates a different dynamic because as the guys from Doom say, all of a sudden that opponent that you're facing they're not, they didn't code. They didn't program. They're, they're moving whatever way a human being thinks that they're going to move and they're going to shoot and they're going to react. So it both creates uh, a new challenge, but it also creates a dynamic that's completely out of the hands of the programmers. The, uh, you know, the, and I like what you brought up because that was a great uh, theme of the series too, was just this idea of, the business of it <laughs> it's like you make you got I, you know people talk about nes hard i think that's a phrase that people throw around it's like terms of like how hard mm-hmm. these games were back then because you you're plopping down 50 dollars of your hard-earned money on a game you don't want it to end you know three hours later um and and they don't these cartridges that they were limited with back in the day, you know, they didn't have the ability to program some super long game. So they just made them harder. Well, you know, so you don't feel like you're getting ripped off as a customer when you get this game and it's like insanely difficult because it prolongs the life of the game. But now there's a market for 
how do I actually beat the game? And so now there are these hotlines and these magazines. You and know what? All and this other thing, stuff. Never, I mean, you asked me, how did I have, I've said it before, how I beat Mike Tyson in Mike Tyson's punch out. But if I didn't have Nintendo power, I wouldn't have been able to because I picked up on all the little, you know, cues that they, they give or Mario brothers. I would never have been able to, you know, you know, super Mario brothers wouldn't be able to beat, you know, that game without Nintendo power. Um, you know, so yeah. Well, by the way, at the t- I mean, now we've it's it's shocking to hear, but back then you didn't have commercials for video games. I mean, Mike Tyson's Punch Up may have had a commercial, you know, maybe Tech Mobile, but most video games, or maybe something tied into a movie like Batman, but most video games did not have commercials like, say, the latest Call of Duty will be all over NFL screens in a few weeks. So the only ways for you to know what game you're getting was either through something like Nintendo Power. Or seeing a friend who had bought it play it. So a lot of times when you're plopping down your fifty bucks to get a game, you're going in completely blind. You're you're hedging your bet that well the cartridge looks cool and this game sounds interesting and I kind of heard somebody say it was cool, so I'm just gonna give it a chance. Well, that's how I was gonna say that's how rentals became such a big deal. That was that was my deal. I was just gonna say that's how I learned about most of my games. Is that I mean when I was in middle school and didn't have anything to do, I went to Blockbuster and rented a video game, mm-hmm. you know, rented a couple of Nintendo games for the weekend. So, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like to Fredo's point, uh, you know, this is you're like, we're flying blind, here. <laughs> you know, and it's like $50, you know, that's not a small amount of money for, no. you know, a teenager. So, um, yeah, I so, said, but I love how they, they're like, all right, well, we if you beat this game, we help you beat the game, then you want to purchase the next game, you know. So there's it was it was just kind of fun to think about the tightrope that you're walking. You can't make the game too easy, but then you have to give them a way to actually defeat the game so that they feel they got their money's worth out of it, but then they beat it so that they move on to the next thing and, and spend their money some more. So that, okay. So the last thing I'm going to leave you with a little bit of education, like geekdom here is uh, some random stats. When we were teaching educational theory, they said the average student needs a basically 50, 50 chance of getting the question right or wrong to have adequate you know, I guess, level of concern, adequate motivation. Um, the gifted student needs like a, it's like 80-20 or 90-10. You know, they need, they need. you know, there's a 90% chance that they could get it wrong for them to feel like adequately challenged. And, you know, the special needs kid needs, it's kind of the opposite. It's they need about a 10% chance of being able to get it, you know, a 90% chance of being able to get it right to be adequately motivated. And video games, you can't differentiate all that well unless you have, you want to play level one, level two, level three. Um, but you're right, Dave, that is a, how do you, how do you split that middle? Because of the three of us, like I said, I am, I am not the gifted gamer. I've talked about, it. I'm, you know, I need to be able to smash buttons. Otherwise, if it's like you said, if it's too hard for me, I'm going to put the game down and no, I'm not going to buy the second game. But you know, if you beat a game, you're like, that's it? Oh, heck. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go outside <laughs> and play basketball. But um, 
So anyway, no, you know, good, it's a good series. So people listening, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, man, and you played even put a quarter down on a machine, you need to watch this because it's and it's it's very educational but fun. Um, like we said, it's sanitized, but it's also diverse. It's you know, it's it's just really kind of good look. Fredo, you put up your finger. Yeah, I was just gonna say. By the way, do you know who the host was? The narrator's voice was. No. It's Charles Martinet. Better known to you and I as the voice of Mario. Oh, awesome. So uh, even that, even I got a video game connection there. So we are the we are the Who Dat Jedi podcast. We got to talk some Who Dat stuff here. First of all, Alvin Kamara has not signed his contract yet, but it sounds like it's getting close. So that is good. I'm not as worried as mm -hmm. last week when we were freaking out. Um, but before, yeah, we've got, we're playing uh, the, the, Tampa Bay Buccaneers on uh, Sunday. I don't know. I, you know, the, the game, I'm, I'm of a couple minds. I think she hits it spot on. People are like sending Tampa Bay to the Super Bowl because they signed Tom Brady and they haven't, they haven't done anything yet. So by yes, on paper, we should roll over them. But history tells me that this is the game that we're going to get rolled over on <laughs> if we're not careful. Here's what I'll say. We saw earlier this week, uh, I forget who was, uh, went down to an injury, you know, went down for the year. Normally in a, in a regular, you know, NFL season, you'll see a couple of players fall, you know, have a major injury in preseason or week one because they have not been, you know, playing full contact. These players have not played a single down of full-on pads, hard-hitting, 100% speed football yet. So I'm fully expecting next Monday's injury report to be a horror show. Well, that's what Sean Payton said as much today. He said to Cat Terrell, I think, said, you know, just you guys try to keep up with the IR and practice mm -hmm. squad exchanges that happen. I mean, so he's anticipating that. But also, we, you know, but that also indicates there's going to be a, you know, week one and two tend to be the ones in terms of results because players are adapting to new teams. Rookies are adapting to the NFL. People still don't have film on everybody, that kind of thing. So anything can happen. It's going to be even double for this week because not a moment of preseason was played. You don't know what, you know, we have no idea what Sean Payne's been cooking up. You have no idea what Bruce Arians has been cooking up. I, and to be honest, you know, maybe Brady and Gronkowski and Mike Evans. Actually, yeah, I think maybe Mike Evans is a game time decision now. I don't know. But, you know, that team in uh, Tampa, you know, they may have devised some sort of scheme for week one. But having a scheme and being able to execute it like the coach draws it up is two different things. And in this instance, you should value the experience that the Saints have because they're coming back by and large together as the last team from last year. Two things I find interesting. One, uh, Nick Underhill um, mm -hmm. said, and it's, it's true, and this is a Saints fan with the chip on her shoulder, um, mm -hmm. where it's if if we if if Tampa Bay wins, then it's you know basically we if win or lose we can't win this game. It's right. it's going to be you know it's it's just going to be either about Tom Brady was you know a gift from God or you know man the you know the Bucks just you know need to do. It's not going to be about how dominant the Saints are if we win. The second thing that I find interesting, Bruce Arians had a quote uh, about a week ago 
that said he didn't give a crap about time of possession. It matters what you do with the ball. And it's like, I want to see Sean Payton hold the ball for like three quarters of the game. You know what I mean? But anyway, Dave, what do you, what do you think? How, what are, what are saints going to do this weekend? You know what I'll say is like the silver linings here. Uh, we have not had to hear nearly the amount of Tom Brady hype that we might have otherwise uh, if there had been no pandemic. So, you know, like here's the silver lining of the pandemic. You don't have to hear nearly as much about Tom Brady. But uh, I think the likeliest outcome for the Buccaneers is for them to start strong and fade late because they are relying on people with broken down bodies who are old. Um, Gronkowski in particular and Brady to a lesser degree. So um, I think that's the likeliest outcome. If the Saints can pull this off in week one, I don't think it's very likely at all that the Buccaneers will be able to catch them later on in the season. So it becomes an important game in that respect. Um, but I'm kind of with you, Aaron. I'm like, wacky things tend to happen in these in these spots. And you know, it's, I it's magic. Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm mm -hmm. I'm you know, I, I, I'm not gonna say the Buccaneers are gonna absolutely win this game, but I'm not feeling real confident about it either. So I don't think I'm ever confident as a Saints fan. It's when my dad always asked, said, so Saints going to win? I was like, don't ask me that. I want them <laughs> to win. But it's just I just live in the moment and just I can't can't predict anything anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm reminded of the last home game I went to the Saints game, which was the game against the Browns, where the Saints should have lost, but the Browns kicker decided to have the worst game of his life. So that's how yeah. he won it because he kept missing field goals and extra points. So, you know, like I said, like, you know, week one, week two, they tend to be wacky. Then as the season progresses, you tend to settle on what level you're playing at. Well, all right. With that, uh, we'll be anxiously awaiting the Saints debut on Sunday, 325. So um, remember, in the meantime, you can uh, listen to our podcasts uh you know, current and past. You can find us on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean. Find us on social media, you know, uh, Twitter, Facebook, those things. Whether it's the Who Dat Jedi podcast feed or it's one of us individually, we'll, we'll talk to you. We like to be distracted. Um, but until then, we will say Who Dat? Who Dat? Who Dat? And uh, have a great week, everybody. My